0: the Thread and Ladle podcast, where we share conversations about living a handmade life and inspire each other to practice daily acts of creativity. I'm your host, Beatrice Perrin-Dollin. Hello. Listeners out there, I'm so excited that you're joining me today to talk about yoked sweaters. If you've followed me on any kind of social media, then you know that I get really excited about yoked sweaters. Uh, And for the rest of you who have no idea what I'm talking about when I say yoked sweaters, you are in the right place because that's just what we're going to talk about today. Um, We've just kicked off the yoke sweater knit-along in my Ravelry group and on Instagram, and so that's why we're chatting about this today. So you can pop on over to those places and ask questions there as well if um, if you have more questions that aren't answered in today's podcast. We'll start at the beginning for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about when I say yoke. In general, when I say yoke, I'm talking about a circular yoke sweater. In general, the sweaters we'll be working on during this knit along will be seamless, either knit top down or bottom up. Most circular circular yoke sweaters that you'll find are knit seamlessly. There aren't too many I've come across that have seams or are knit in pieces. In a top down circular yoke sweater, stitches are cast on for the neck and then increases are made in rounds. For instance, there might be three increase rounds worked throughout the yoke in which you might work, say, knit one, make one to the end of the round. By the end of your yoke, which would be about at your underarms, you'd have enough stitches to divide for the sleeves and for the body. And then you'd also cast on a few stitches at the underarm. If you look at a circular yoke sweater from above, it would look kind of like concentric circles. If you look at the yoke before you cast on... Uh, before you finish the body and the sleeves. In a bottom-up circular sweater, one would knit the sleeves and the body and then join them together all in one round with some stitches placed on holders for the underarms. Then the yoke would be worked, incorporating three or more rounds of decreases by the time you reach the neckline and bind off. In the cases of cardigans, the sweater is generally still worked seamlessly in the round, but steeked afterwards, especially if there is color work. If there is no color work and maybe there's just lace in the yoke, then maybe it's knit flat. Steeks. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say steeks, I'm talking about cutting your knitting open. And if you do know, maybe you're still crying. (laughs) It's not as nearly as scary as it sounds. If you're interested in learning how to steek, The best place to start is by knitting a swatch. Reinforce it either either using the crocheted method or the sewn method. I prefer the sewn method personally, but I've done both. I usually do two rows of a sewn seam down the two columns of my steak stitches and then I cut it. I actually have a video of me cutting a steeped sweater with a crocheted edge reinforcement saved on my Instagram stories for those of you who'd like to see. I'm at Thread and Ladle on Instagram and you can find it by clicking on knitting. The lovely thing about the shaping of a circular yoke sweater is that it allows for many kinds of adornment to be incorporated across the yoke. It could include colorwork, lace, or texture stitches, or maybe it's just an elegant and very simple plain neckline. Iconically, the sweaters are made in this fashion are the Icelandic Lopapagia, of which I am a huge fan. And you know, if, I've, if you've been following me, that I love Icelandic wool and some of the sweaters of Shetland. But there are many, many designers out there who are pushing it in new directions. And if you aren't called to these two sweaters, then you will definitely find something that you like on Ravelry. Now, I had asked on Instagram what questions people have about circular yoke sweaters, and so I'm going to answer some of those questions now. Um, I have s- included the handles of the people who asked the question publicly, but if you didn't ask publicly, I didn't want to go ahead and share that just in case you didn't want your name to be shared. So some of them ha- I will tell you who asked and others. I just thought I'd keep that private without permi- since I did not have permission to share their names. Question one. How do you keep tension around the bend when using magic loop? That is an excellent question. For those of you who like to use magic loop when working on your sleeves or something like that, or maybe when you get t- to the neck of your circular yoke sweater, I find that uh, as you're kind of turning the corner, your, your color work can get tight. So when I'm using magic loop, I sort of keep that, the other needle flat, flat and flush for the first couple of stitches that I'm knitting onto the second needle. Um, and I have found that I just actually think that double pointed needles are great in this regard because you don't have this problem. So if you're not a fan in general of double pointed needles, you might find that in color work, it is much easier and keeps a better tension than using the magic loop method. at um, B says I have flow anxiety. And I am so with you, but I think the only way really around it is just to practice. There are some tips though, to keeping your floats nice and tensioned well. And one of those is that on your right hand needle, as you're knitting color work, you're going to keep your stitches spread out. So that's the number one thing. If your stitches are all bunched up on your right hand needle, your color color work is going to end up too tight. Your floats are going to end up too tight and it's, it's going to all be pinched in. The second thing you can do is to go up a needle size when you're working your color work. So if you often find that your color work is too tight, go up needle size or maybe even two if you find that you need to do that. Now, the next thing I'm going to tell you, the next trick for floats is sort of hard to describe verbally, um, but you can flip your knitting inside out, which is it feels and looks strange because instead of be- having the right side facing you as you're knitting, you're actually going to h- have the whole sweater in front of you and it's going to be inside out. It'll look weird. And if I can find a picture or a YouTube video that kind of describes that, I will link to that in the show notes. But I don't know of any off the top of my head, so I'll have to find that. The third question is, how do you make it fit your bust without it being too snug up top? And similar question was, do they look weird if you have big boobs? I'd have to say, I don't think so, but everybody's body is different. I am a D cup. I measure about 42 on the outside of my bra. And if I knit a sweater with zero ease, I would knit like a 42. I have lots of circular yoke sweaters. I don't think that they look bad on me, but it's all about finding the right fit for your body which I think is totally possible to do. You might have to do some trial and error. Um, The the other part of that question, how do you make it fit your bust without it being too snug up on top, is probably going to be about where your decreases are placed. If you've struggled in the past to make a yoked sweater fit you and it's been a colorwork sweater, you might want to try something with lace, which is going to fit differently. Um, Usually in a colorwork chart, Oftentimes what is what your decreases will look like is they will be spread out throughout the chart. Maybe you have six decreases in the chart and they're worked on six different rows, which can kind of sort of sometimes create a funnel neck on some people. You might find that something that has the concentric circles that I described before, you know, all of the the decreases or increases are placed in rounds might fit you differently because you can play around with where you place those decrease rounds in the yoke. And the nice thing about lace is that it stretches a lot more than color work. So if you struggled with this um, with a circular yoke sweater in the past, uh, a lace might just give you a better fit because it's going to give a little more stretch and especially across the shoulders, which is often the part that is tight in a yoke sweater. If you haven't found the right fit for you, um, lace right there is going to give you a little bit of extra stretch. So there's some beautiful, beautiful patterns out there that incorporate lace into the yoke and maybe try that if you haven't had good luck with color work. The fourth question is. I always seem to have issues getting the correct yoke depth. And there was a similar question that was yokes are hard for someone whose row gauge is always taller than recommended suggestions on adjustments. That was from at Island Girl Knits on Instagram. So. Like I mentioned in the last question, um, the pattern is going to play a huge role in that. If you have if there's a pattern that's say entirely color work in the yoke and the decreases or increases are cleverly fit into the color work, that's going to be really hard to adapt that pattern. But if you have a pattern that's say has three or four rounds of increases or decreases, and it has just a few rows of color work or just a few rows of patterning, stitch patterning or lace that's going to be easier to adjust. Now, I have some patterns like this and they're, you know, that might have some decreases and or it might have some straight knitting before you get to the first decrease row and the color work. So in that case, where you're just straight knitting, that's really easy to adjust because instead of straight knitting for 15 rounds, you could straighten it for seven rounds if you need to adjust the height. So I would really take a hard look at the pattern that you're choosing and try and find one that looks like it's going to be easier to adjust, like to take out some of those extra rows if you aren't getting the correct yoke depth or the right row gauge. Also listen to my next podcast episode where we're going to be talking about row gauge and some ideas for troubleshooting that. Question five was, how do you keep tension even? And I sort of uh, addressed that already in question two about float anxiety. Question six was, are yoked sweaters hard? And is there one you would recommend for beginners? I think yoked sweaters are not hard. Um, I think a lot of people's anxiety about yoke sweaters comes from fit issues and also color work on the yoke. Because if you are someone who has a hard time getting even tension on your color work or your color work is tight, then that's going to affect how it fits you in the shoulders. Um, so is there one you would recommend for beginners? I would recommend a few one. There's one I have, uh, I've published a Lopapasia pattern or a Lopapasia inspired pattern called studies in ice. It has four different, uh, colorwork chart options and it's, and it's got some adjustments. It'll be easily adjusted for somebody, um, who is trying to adjust the yoke depth or, or other things about their yoke. Um, it also doesn't have colorwork on the sleeves and the body. It just has a colorwork, not through the whole yoke, but maybe through, um, a third or a half of the yoke. So that one might be a good starting place. The other one that might be a good starting place, um, I have a couple that have lace. And if you're nervous about color work, start with a lace one or start with a plain one. Um, I have one called the Estrantia Pullover, which is all lace. I have another called Blair. Um, and I would also check out Kate Davies' book, Yokes. There's a lot of information in that book, and um, there's a lot of patterns to choose from. Question seven is, Is top-down or bottom-up better for a yoked sweater? And here I would say that it is completely a personal preference. My own personal preference is for bottom-up and that's for a couple of reasons. I really prefer to knit in pieces. So, you know, when you knit top-down, By the time you get to your sleeves, you might have your whole yoke and your whole body and you're trying to turn that whole sweater every time you turn your sleeve around and it can just be a bit cumbersome. So I really like to knit one sleeve, knit one, another sleeve, knit the body because they're smaller pieces and they're more transportable and they're easier to work with. I can bring them along with me when I'm going somewhere with my kids and easily work on that or. Maybe I'm just knitting a straight knit body and I can work on that while I'm listening and talking to someone. So I really like that method. The other reason I like the bottom up is because if I'm working uh, color work in the yoke, I really prefer the look of a decrease as opposed to an increase. Um, And if you've played around with increases and decreases, you know, it's sort of hard to find a very invisible increase. And so I just prefer the look of the decrease because it's a little bit tighter and it uh, doesn't create any holes. Question number eight was, is color dominance a real thing? And it is a very real thing. And I've answered all, most of these questions on my Instagram stories. And I actually linked to someone else's Instagram post where she has a picture of her swatches and, and they are very, it is very significant. You can see the difference in the, in the two different swatches. So the, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, color dominance is whenever you are working color work, one color sort of comes to the front while the other color sort of recedes. And in general, the color that you carry underneath on the back side, you know, where your floats are, the, the color that is carried underneath will generally be the dominant color. If you have no idea and you don't get it and you don't understand, the important thing is really just to hold your two colors the same way every time. So if you always hold, say I'm working with blue and white and I'm working on my color works hat or yoke. Always hold, and I always hold my blue in my left hand and my white in my right hand. The next time I pick up my knitting, I want to make sure I pick it up the same way because otherwise I'm sort of switching which color is my dominant color. So even if you don't understand color dominance, it's important just to be consistent in the way you're holding your yarn so that you don't end up with wonky color work. The ninth question was, why do so many yoked sweaters start out round and switch to raglan? Now, um, I have actually used this method in a lot of my patterns and combined the raglan shaping and the circular yoke sweating sweater shaping because I find it resolves a lot of fit issues. For those people who had asked about um, how do you make it fit up in your shoulders without being too big for your bust, and somebody else had asked about um, some s- s- different... Um, extra fabric under the arms. This might be a sweater that works better for your body to have some, some raglan shaping at the underarm and then circular yoke as well. I find it's more flattering for myself and that's why I usually use it for many of my patterns. Um, the studies is a nice pattern that I mentioned before. does use a combination raglan and circular sweater and several of my other patterns do as well my 10 show pattern does and I have one coming out in October that also does so if you're if you've never quite found the right fit with just a circular knit sweater maybe try a raglan circular yoke hybrid someone asked on Instagram I have a bottom-up yoke and I want to convert it to a top down so this isn't really a straightforward answer it's absolutely possible but it you are going to have to be clever and um, figure that out, especially if your yoke includes color work. I've done this before. And what I found I had to do was sort of shift, if you're looking at the chart, the way it was written, say from bottom up, um, what I had to do was shift the increases to the row above where the decreases were in the chart. So you're going to have to get clever with how you do it because you're going to basically have to rewrite your color work chart. include increases instead of decreases and you're going to have to shift some squares around in order to do that so it's it might be trickier but it is possible i don't know of any resources that tell you how to do it but i would love if anyone does decide to do that um jump in on the ravelry group and or um, the thread and label group and the the thread for the yokes knit along i would love to hear about it Someone Sunlit Pages at Sunlit Pages on Instagram asked, are most yoked sweaters identical in front and back? Um, What she's referring to is the neck shaping. Many patterns include some short rows to raise the neck. You should be able to read um, on the Ravelry page in that pattern to see if it includes some short rows for the neck shaping. In some patterns, you can actually see that in the pictures because you can see that in the back, there's more uh, more of the main color above the color work than in the front. Personally, I don't always like that aesthetic of being able to see the short rows. So I often include it underneath the color work. So it, the question is, They are not all identical in front and back, and you just have to read and figure out which includes short rows and which doesn't. And if the pattern that you're after doesn't include short rows to shape the neck at the back, uh, then it's a very simple thing to adapt and include yourself. Another question was, what percentage of modern day knitters are willing to steak from at whistling girl knits on Instagram? And I would love to know that too. So maybe when this goes live, I will actually post a uh, a poll in my Instagram stories and we can find out the question, the answer to that question. And finally, my friend Thread Panda says, why don't they knit themselves? And I have been wishing that they would for like, A lot of years now, but it still hasn't happened. So good luck. Now that I've answered all your questions so far, oh, I did forget one actually. There was another question about left handed knitting um, or stranded color work for left handed knitting. And I'm not left handed, so I don't have a great answer. And I quickly Google searched this and I also didn't find any, just a quick Google search didn't show any resources for this. So I'm not sure there are any, but I think in general, not being a left-handed knitter, knitting is one of the things that is done pretty much the same if you're left or right-handed. I could be completely wrong because I'm not left-handed. And again, I would love for someone to chime in on this um in the, in the knit-along thread in my Ravelry group. But if you are a left-handed knitter, I think actually that you're probably in good shape for color work because if you are an English knitter and you throw your yarn, then you can hold... One of your colors in your left hand, one in your right hand. Uh, and if you are continental, it'll, you, you'll be holding both of the colors in your left hand. So I, I think that it's not that different. But if there's something in particular that somebody out there who is left handed is struggling with, I'd love to hear about it and what, what exactly is the issues. And maybe we can get a conversation going about that. That would be really fascinating to learn. Now that I've answered all your questions, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Lopapasia because it's a personal favorite of mine. Um, and for those of you who don't know what a Lopapasia is, it's an Icelandic sweater. And most of us know sort of the iconic Icelandic sweater that has lots of color work and um, things going on in the yoke. And that's sort of the... It's the iconic circular yoke sweater. And it's, um, you know, it's a huge tourist market for these sweaters in Iceland, too. So most of us know what they are. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit more about them because I love Icelandic sweaters. And I would make a note, too, here that if if there are any people out there who are going to tackle a circular yoke for the first time that there's a huge difference in the quality of the yarns that you choose. And some yarns are really harder to work with than others. Some yarns are harder to kind of get the gauge and the shape that you're after. Maybe they are a stretchy yarn or a heavy yarn. And I think that um, you might not like Icelandic yarn because it, it can be itchy, but a nice, really lightweight woolly yarn is maybe a little bit more forgiving than something that's really heavy and drapey. So if you're embarking on a circular yoke sweater for the first time, you might want to just consider what yarn you're using and don't use something that's 50% silk because it's going to pull and drape and it's going to do things that you might not want it to do. And you might want to just stick with something that's lighter and woollier. that's that's going to stay into the shape that you knit it in and not pull and be weird. And, um, so that's just a side note. I think, um, Icelandic yarn is a great choice, but there's lots of other ones out there if you find it too itchy. So my personal love of the Lopapasia is sort of grows out of the fact that I lived on a NATO base in Catholic Iceland as a child. So I have an affinity for these sweaters, both as a knitter and because I have really fond memories from my childhood about Iceland. A little bit more about the iconic Iceland sweater. Icelandic wool is a really unique wool. Icelandic sheep have been uh, raised in isolation on the island, away from other breeds of sheep, and so their wool has remained relatively unchanged over time. They are a dual-coated sheep, which means that they have a longer outer layer of wool that is long, glossy, and water repellent, called the tog. The inner fleece is called the fell, and it's finer and it's soft and it's insulating. In most Icelandic yarns, the two fibers are blended together to make a lightweight yarn that is really warm, durable, and weather resistant. And I can also confirm its stain repelling properties as tested by my two young children. Seriously, we have some sweaters knit in Icelandic yarn for our kids, and they still look as beautiful as they did the day we knit them. I say we because if you listen to my last episode that you know that my husband is the one who taught me to knit and he still knits from time to time and often for our children <laughs> getting back to Icelandic wool, well, at times the fell and the tog are separated and the tog can be used for rug making while the fell is sometimes used to create softer finer yarns for lace work or a similar project like maybe a nice soft lace weight yarn There's very few sheep breeds that have two coats like this, and a few others that maybe you've heard of are the Shetland sheep and the Navajo churro. I don't know if I'm saying that word right, but there you are. There's many stories about how the Lopapacio was born, and I would, if you're interested, I would definitely do some more reading to sort of um, trace the history for yourself and learn a little bit more, but. The most likely story is that it emerged out of a need or desire for a product that represented Iceland that could be used in trade to sell to visitors and in markets. During the Second World War and post-war times, there was a shortage of yarn, so knitters began knitting with unspun lopi, and this seems to be sort of the time that the iconic sweater, as we know it today, was born. There's many, many resources out there for those who want to know more about Icelandic yolks, and I will list, uh, link to some of those in the show notes. I highly recommend Kate Davies' books, Yolk, book, Yokes. I mentioned that one before. It has uh, beautiful, beautiful yoked p- patterns, as well as a lot of informative essays on yoked garments, including one on the lopatia and one on the Shetland sweater. Seriously, cannot recommend that book l- enough. I love it. Uh, You might, for the purpose of this knit along, you might also decide to use a pattern from the Knitter's Handy Book of Top-Down Sweaters by Ann Budd, which is a great resource. And it has, um, I think it's got all different kinds for maybe four different kinds of top down sweaters, a circular yoke, a raglan, a set in sleeve, and one more that I'm, that I'm missing. Uh, Oh, a saddle shoulder. So you might look at that. There's some patterns in the book. There's also some sort of blank slate patterns you can use and sort of fill in the blanks to make your own sweater Uh, and I, I would also recommend the knitting workshop by Elizabeth Zimmerman and there's sort of a formula in there for creating your own top down yoked sweater too You can also find my Lopapasia inspired pattern called Studies in Ice, which has four different options for color work charts and the yoke. And I have quite a few yoked sweater patterns and you will find links to all of those in the forum for the knit along that is in my Ravelry group. So definitely pop in there. There's some resources and there's lots of people who are, um, have questions that are similar to yours or might have answers to your questions. Um, it's a lot of fun to to knit with a group like that. So if you're nervous about knitting a circular yoke sweater, pop in, you'll, I'm sure that it'll give you a little bit of courage to get started and we can be, we can be cheerleaders for each other. So just to summarize, you can join the Yokes Knit Along by visiting, visiting the Thread and Ladle Ravelry group and also by sharing your projects on Instagram with the hashtag Yokes I would be delighted if you could take the time to leave a review on iTunes of this podcast. It helps the podcast reach other interested listeners and it helps me to continue to produce it. And I would love your feedback in any form, ideas for next episodes, or if you're like total rubbish, stick to patterns. That's fine too. Any feedback you have, you can, you can leave it in my Ravelry group or by sending me an email, uh, or by commenting on the post. This podcast Blog post on my website. Today I'd love to leave you with this quote from Elizabeth Zimmerman in Knitting Without Tears. No two people knit alike, look alike, think alike. Why should their projects be alike? Your sweater should be your own favorite be like your own favorite original recipes, like nobody else's on earth. And a good thing, too. for joining me today on the Thread and Ladle podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes are posted or when I publish a new knitting pattern, you can sign up for my email list at threadandladle.com/newsletter. You can also find me on Ravelry and on Instagram under the handle at Thread and Ladle. Until next time, may you find joy and creativity in your days.